Hi, and welcome back to Blonde, Brunette, and Confused, the podcast where we share stories, unsolicited advice, and conversations about life as college students. We want to give you the unfiltered truth. Unfortunately, our Confused member could not be here today, but our Blonde and Brunette is here for today's interview. But before we start, we want to provide a content warning. This conversation will involve mentions of racism and police brutality. Please make the best choice for your mental health when considering if you should listen. So we are so excited to be joined by a guest today, Brittany, but before I introduce her and give her the chance to introduce herself to you listeners, I want to provide a little bit of background information about what we're going to be talking about. So to sort of set the scene, as we all witnessed and know, this past summer, there were widespread protests in support of the Black Lives Matter movement, which prompted, or I hope prompted, a lot of people to reflect critically on the racism within the organizations and the institutions that they're actually a part of. So for students like us, that meant looking at our own universities. And here at BBNC, we actually made an episode over the summer where we sort of recount the history and the timeline of racism at Hofstra and the student movements that were created in response to that. So if you want that context, the episode is still up. It's number 15, so go give it a listen if you're interested. And as a result of this increased desire to see change on campus, student leaders from a collection of Black-centered organizations at Hofstra came together to form Black Leaders Advocating for Change, or BLAC slash Black, as we will be referring to them throughout the episode. So today we are actually sitting down with one of their members, Brittany. Brittany, do you want to introduce yourself and share a little bit more about yourself with our listeners? Yeah, I'm Brittany. I'm currently a senior at Hofstra University. I am one of the founders of Black Leaders Advocating for Change. It started over the summer. We had sent a list of demands to administration on behalf of Black identifying students on campus. I was approached by um, Amdalat. She's a junior. She is the president of the Black Student Union on campus, and she kind of had this idea like, hey, let's get together, create this list, send it out, and see what happens, advocate for ourselves. So that's kind of how it started. And me, Myself, Amdalat, and another leader, Mariah, are kind of the three main leaders, but we are a collective of people like of um, all class standings. Amazing. So we first learned about BLIC when the group released a list of demands for Hofstra on Instagram. So what was it actually like being behind the scenes forming this organization? Well, we really didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, we weren't sure if people were going to pay attention to it. We didn't know how administration was going to respond. There was some talk in the beginning. We didn't know if we would get in trouble at all for what we were doing. We, of course, like started off with a bunch of different Black Center organizations and we had a conversation. Are we okay with having our organization's names on this list? Because if there is any like uh, any sort of retaliation from administration, our organizations could be on the line. Our e-board members are all involved with this. So that was a concern that we had. It took about two weeks to put it all together. We all got together. People from BSU had started like a preliminary list of different demands that they wanted to include and then when all of the um orgs got together we had a meeting and talked about what we wanted to add things we wanted to change myself and Amdalat were the main writers of the list we took the demands that we created and we gave little like paragraphs explaining why we want each demand what each of these demands mean and we sent it out to administration and it was kind of like <laughs> we had no idea what was going to happen but we were pleasantly surprised by the results so that's so great to hear first of all the support of Hofstra and we have a question later 
in the episode where we hope to learn more about Oster's response because there was before this sort of a conversation from student activists about Hoster's responses in the past. So it must have been so unknown to really advocate for what you wanted. This all began, I'm sure, because you were involved in other Black-centered organizations before the foundation of VLAC. So what were these organizations that you were involved with previously, and how did you get involved with them when you came to campus? I became involved with Hofstra's chapter of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, the NAACP, my freshman year. I had known the president of the program. I'd met her over the summer, actually, as part of Hofstra University's discovery program. I was an incoming student. She was one of the student leaders, and I met her that way, and she thought I'd be a great addition to the e-board. So I started out as a historian my freshman year, and then as a sophomore, I became treasurer, and I've stuck with it since then. And I'm also the president of Strictly Stepin, which is a SEP team on campus. I joined that as a freshman as well. Now I'm the president and the captain. So those are the two orgs that I'm kind of affiliated with that are involved in the making of this list. Wow, that's amazing. I remember seeing like the performances too, like before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's so great. Thanks. Um, so when you came to college, how did you know that you wanted to become involved in like these type of organizations and like activism? honestly didn't. I didn't know what was going to happen when I came to college. Starting elementary school, up through middle school and high school, I was a cheerleader and I feel like that was the main part of my identity. In high school, I was the captain of the cheerleading team and that was always kind of like where I felt the most safe. I was, you know, one of few Black students at my high school was like prominently white in a prominently white town. So sometimes I felt out of place in a lot of spaces. But when it came to cheerleading, it was like a second home. I was accepted. I was great at what I was doing, respected, appreciated, understood always. But I had um, some problems with my knee my senior year and my doctor told me to stop. But I was a stubborn, no, I'm a captain. This is senior year. I'm going to keep going. And that had <laughs> really bad consequences. So I didn't end up trying out for the cheerleading team at Hofstra. So I kind of came into college not knowing how to restructure my identity. But I eventually did. I kind of just joined everything and found my way. So at least with us among our friends, we have heard a lot of past like student athletes coming to college, not pursuing that anymore can be a big change. But it sounds like you really took advantage of this newfound free time that you had because you got involved in eboards your freshman year, which it's a really big step, especially when you don't know the campus, you're just starting to get a sense of what college life is going to be like. How did you balance all of this involvement with your schoolwork and with learning how to navigate college life? Do you have any advice for that? Oof, I mean, <laughs> for me, I honestly became too involved as a freshman and then I kind of dialed it back but then I just added a bunch more things. I mean, I talked about the two uh, Strictly and NAACP, or the Black Center organizations I'm part of, but I'm also on the Student Diversity Advisory Board, which just moved from the Dean of Students to the Chief Diversity Inclusion Officer and Committee for Representation in Public Spaces. I was on Student Health and Counseling Center Advisory Board, Discovery Leader, Diversity Peer Mentor, Secretary for the Psychology Club. Like there's so many things I just don't even remember. Um, <laughs> everything that I do, and Black Widow's Advocate for Change, of course. But, <laughs> At one point, I definitely felt like I was doing 
too much and I kind of had to sit back and you know examine okay what can I handle I need to start writing things down I have like a little sticky note every week I write down everything that I need to do for both my classes and my extracurriculars and I cross mm-hmm. things off as I go I'm not joining anything else I have <laughs> in the sand uh, no more I definitely learned not to overload myself because stress has a lot of physical implications as well my semester right now is pretty light so I have time to do more extracurriculars but if I am having a harder semester like last semester I will take time off if I need it for myself to make sure I can get everything done my advice is definitely don't overload yourself (laughs) definitely don't don't do what I didn't just sign up for everything Yeah, it's really great that you still recognize when you needed a break and you still like gave those breaks to yourself because that is a lot, but that's so impressive that you could balance all of that and you're almost done now. You're going to graduate soon, which is crazy. So BLIC has been making progress at Hofstra in your initial demands of increasing awareness about Africana studies, courses, more diverse food options in the dining halls. And you recently announced that the creation of the new Black-centered living learning community. So do you want to share the progress that the group has made and what it's been like to get there, to get all these new things? Yeah, so the living learning community, like you said, is probably like the biggest thing that we're working on right now. It's called the Umoja Scholars LLC. It's going to be in Bill of Rights Hall on the fifth floor. And the idea of the LLC was approved last semester, probably around October or something like that. Last semester, we did like weekly meetings with administration. Every Friday, we would tackle a demand. Karen uh, Latini, I think is how she pronounced her last name. She works for the Division of Student Affairs. She would kind of coordinate a lot of our meetings to make sure that the administrators and anybody else who needed to be in the room like was in the room so that was awesome we really appreciated her doing that for us so after the LLC was approved we went on to figure out who we wanted to collaborate with and we originally wanted to partner with the Africana Studies Department because of course revamping that was one of our demands as well Mm -hmm. and we felt like tying them together would be a good way to kind of tackle two birds with one stone like give them more visibility on campus kind of support Africana Studies while also creating this new living space. And in one of our meetings with administration, they mentioned that, you know, interdisciplinary approach would also be really important. And like the idea to opportunity to explore different identities of people of the African diaspora. And so we're also going to partner with the Latin American and Caribbean Studies program, as well as the anthropology department for like different perspectives that they can give for our events in the LLC. Naming was probably the biggest, for some reason that took a very long time to figure out a name. Basically, any name that we had, it has to be like go up the channels and be approved. So we had to create this whole different list of these are possible things that we want and this is why we want it to be named this. But there are some things that raise some objections. (laughs) Um, Like explicitly putting black in the name, for example, they didn't want anything that had like a mention of race. So it's kind of hard to figure out a way to create this Black-centered living space. It's a racialized space, so it's kind of hard to come up with a non-racialized name that would advocate for what the space is actually about. So that took a lot of back and forth, a lot of brainstorming, reaching out to different members of the Hofstra community, a lot of Black-identifying administrators and faculty. We work closely with the Black Faculty Council, who also sent out a list of demands around the same time, just to figure out, again, like how to create this non-racialized name for a racialized space that is going to advertise what the space is about. That's how we came up with the Moja because it's one of the Kwanzaa principles and it's uh, all about unity, unity of family, race, and I think nation is a 
third one. So that's how we came up with that. Same with like the lounge space naming for that. We also had to send like a whole list over and get that approved. A whole lot of different names. We haven't put on an Instagram yet. The lounge is going to be called The Real. It's the Respect, Equity, and Advocacy Lounge. So yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's so clever. Like, how do you guys come up with this? Oh, thanks. <laughs> Clear that, yeah, there's so many people coming together to really make the space, yeah. like, as successful as it can be. That's so exciting. Do you know why there was hesitancies, or I guess in this case, a suggestion that you should steer away from a racialized name? Do you think that's because of concerns about public perception or why do you think they were pushing for that? I mean, it probably was about public perceptions and like not wanting to seem discriminatory or anything like that, which is a little frustrating. You know, there are other groups like themed living in LSEs on campus, like the gender inclusive living, like we're allowed to say this is like gender inclusive or for the, um, I think it's an LLC for Hostra Hillel, which is like Jewish centered and they're allowed to name it that, but we couldn't mention being black in the name. I kind of felt like a double standard and like we were being treated differently than other marginalized groups. But at the end of the day, it came down to, are we going to keep arguing about the name and delay the opening of the space or are we just gonna concede I guess in a way and just get get this done so that we can still have the space and ultimately having the space is the most important thing but I mean Hofstra is a predominantly white institution that is located in one of the most segregated suburbs in the U.S. and I mean you look at the board of trustees and a lot of people who fund the spaces it's, it's like a certain demographic and that tends to be more conservative so it probably is kind of just a way to appease the community and not have something like blatantly black but I mean ugh, I was so frustrated looking at places down south or like not even down south there are some places up north that would just say oh this is the black house and that was just that and we had to kind of fancy it up so yeah yeah and that leads into my next question which we've already alluded a lot to sort of this history of students creating change on campus and then how Hofstra administration has responded to that. So when Hofstra was actually starting to release statements in response to the Black Lives Matter movement over the summer, student organizing groups, specifically Jefferson Has Gotta Go, shared that they sort of released the statement, it sounds like, without actually consulting student groups. Have you seen changes in the university being more open to collaborating with student groups like BLAC to get you a seat at the table. It sounds like there are administrators that are really advocating for you. Do you think there are still improvements you'd like to see in making sure the administration works with you and collaborates? Yeah, definitely. I think in terms of the original statement that was put out, I know that the student groups that I'm a part of were personally talked to about this. Mm. One thing that though everyone in Black Leaders Advocating for Change has spoke about is how they didn't actually mention like Black people in the actual statement. They never said like, oh, for our Black students. It was always students of color, of color, of color, but we're talking about a specific color. We're talking about Black students and it's okay to like single out and say that you're talking about Black students. And that was a conversation that came up a lot in the naming too is like this hesitancy to just say black it was it's very odd I don't know they're just the hesitancy to just talk about black people in the statement and the naming it's all just frustrating but I mean again like we're making strides and administration has been central in the progress that we've made they were pretty receptive when we first sent out the list of demands about meeting with us they've been pushing things along the division of student affairs like I talked to before where like the secretary Karen made a lot of our meetings like Dean Gabby when she was out for a few months uh, 
associate dean Zybis is always in our meetings. They really support us. They want this to go well. Cornell Craig, Chief Diversity Inclusion Officer, comes to a lot of our meetings. And I mean, without administration's support, none of this would be possible. So it is great that they're working with us on this. I mean, of course, there is, like I said, some hurdles still working with administration. Like, for example, with an email that I've already talked about, or like other things that we just disagree on. Sometimes it feels like we're given ultimatums. Like, okay, well, do you want this? Or are you going to like argue about this and that? When we raise a concern 10 times, it's either do it this way or it's not happening, which can be frustrating. But at the end of the day, we're happy that something is happening at all. So we kind of just suck it up and move on to the next demand. Yeah. Since you've been at Hofstra since you were a freshman, do you think that Hofstra administration and in general, like the community of Hofstra has grown at all? And is there any more growth that you would like to see, not even just like for the demands before the community in general? Yeah, I think Hofstra is definitely changing. I feel like I'm not going to see a lot of the fruits of the labor from BLAC, but I'm happy that they're going to be here at all. I'm very excited for future students who are going to have the opportunity to live in this LLC, who are going to have this, you know, Black Center lounge space, who are going to have like different food options, a new distribution course, you know, different things like that. African Studies Department getting bigger. I'm really happy that they're going to be able to have those things. I feel like they've definitely been a long time coming. Do we have a Chief Diversity Inclusion? officer now which we didn't have uh, my freshman year I mean there are just a lot of things that are changing for the better there are slow changes but they are happening I think that there's still definitely a lot of work that needs to be done but I just try to keep telling myself slow and steady wins the race you know just be patient this is going to take years I mean I think the most important thing is students not relenting because administration tends to think of students as like a revolving door like these students they're saying this and that and then they're just going to graduate so it's fine we just keep pushing it off until they graduate and then everyone will be quiet about this. So you really have to keep recruiting people to these movements. You have to like make sure you're getting underclassmen for the cause and make sure they know the importance of getting underclassmen when they're upperclassmen so that basically we just don't shut up because administration will wait for people to graduate out so they don't have to actually tackle problems. And that's like not just Hofstra, that's like college, university culture. I think that's such a great point because as a senior it would have been so easy for you to just be like I'm leaving anyways mm-hmm. it is what it is and the fact that you're still advocating to create this change so that future students will get so much more benefit out of the work that you're doing regardless of whether or not you'll actually see it I hope you're proud of all the work that you're even still doing in this final semester even knowing that you personally won't get to, like you're saying, like bear the fruits of those labors. I think it's also really important what you're saying to continue to get students involved, especially not just in their junior or senior years, but even younger than that. So you can really build a strong group of students to continue pushing the movement. So what advice do you have for students who are noticing inequality at their university and they don't know where to start or how to get involved? I would probably first look for any groups that already exist that center around the issues that you're passionate about. And if there aren't any groups yet, definitely figure out a way to create one. I mean, whether it's something that's official and recognized by the university or not. I mean, Black Leaders Advocating for Change, we're not actually a club. It's just like, we think of ourselves as more of a movement. So I mean, even if it's not an official club, if there's not already a group that 
advocates for what you care about, then go ahead and create that space. Um, I think it's very important to be involved and be heard and find allies across other organizations or students who maybe aren't involved in organizations, but also faculty administration as well. I mean, I know for me, Black Faculty Council has been very, very important in preparing us early on for our meetings with administration so that we knew what to expect. They're a big ally for us. So find allies as well. That's really good advice, especially because there's probably a lot of universities out there that don't really have any sort of space, but there's probably a lot of people who want that type of space. So yeah, starting those movements and starting those organizations is really good advice. For BLIC in general, what is on the horizon? What is your next plans, your next demands, and like what is the next step. Right now, one thing we're working on is figuring out how to include some sort of implicit bias seminar into orientation and welcome week. We think it's really important to explore unconscious biases that, I mean, we all hold or all exposed to the same media with the same stereotypes and that affects our unconscious in ways that I mean, we're not aware because it's our unconscious. So figuring out what they are, what they mean, how to combat them is very important. So we've been working with people from OSLE, part of the new student orientation to kind of figure out how to implement this into the existing structure for orientation and welcome week. And we want to have it involved in both sessions so that it's something that's continual. And I mean, hopefully beyond that, we'll find a way to incorporate that into classes. I mean, any professors that are willing to incorporate that into the syllabus they already have would be great. Uh, we are working on a distribution course that examines the history of race and its present implications in the United States. That was going to start as part of Hofstra College of Liberal Arts and Sciences. There was a little bump of the road with Dean Rifkin, who was like a huge champion for us. We love Dean Rifkin, who uh, stepped down at the beginning of the semester. And Dean Siebel is acting as an interim dean right now. But having uh, Dean Rifkin step down when he did kind of complicated things for the process and we're unsure we're talking with the curriculum committee with Tamika Robinson on it we've been communicating with her and she's not sure how this changing of deans is going to impact the course and things they probably won't be able to start with the incoming class they'll probably be the class after them just because things are changing around in Hofstra College but we do want it to expand beyond just liberal arts and sciences as well and include it into the um, other schools on campus for some of those it's going to be harder definitely like like engineering their schedule is very rigid they have a lot of different classes they need to do same with nursing and things like that but we're hopefully trying to find a way where we can appeal to those schools like we can talk about race in engineering and race in nursing and like how that affects the profession so that there's kind of a way to make it make sense to work in those spaces but I feel like I don't know race, the past, the present, it is all connected. And there are so many things that we need to be aware of people across different professions. So hopefully it can happen. I won't be here to really champion for this, unfortunately, but it is something that I'm very passionate about. I think what you're talking about, about getting other schools involved in these course offerings is so important. And it's something that we reflected on in our previous episode about how we're in the business school, but that doesn't mean business students should not be talking about race and racism because it is present in the business world. It is very present. And the sooner you can get students involved in that conversation, the sooner you can help them become change agents for when they become business people. I think that's something so important that we need to address is like universities are creating the future employers and employees and business leaders and organization leaders and change makers. And so the sooner Hofstra can help people become the world changers, I think that is so, so important. And for students that are outside of directly being involved in BLAC, how can they get involved in it knowing what you're up to? 
uh, and also supporting the changes that you're making. Yeah, we post pretty regular updates on our Instagram. It's at B-L-A-C underscore Hofstra. And we'll post different updates and things that are going on. We'll also post events that are relevant to our cause, like different events from the Center for Race, Culture, and Social Justice, or events from Latin American Caribbean Studies, Afghan Studies, cost offerings, things like that, that are relevant to people who identify with our cause. Our Instagram is probably the best way to find information about us. We can also be reached via email at blac.hofstra at gmail.com with any questions that they have. Um, we would be happy to inform anybody about anything that we're doing and get the word out in any way that we can. Just thank you so much for chatting yeah. with us. Thanks for having me. Before we close out here at BBNC, we have a little tradition at the end of every episode where we talk about a confused moment of the week. So something silly that happened to us, a mistake we made, a moment where our brain was just completely empty. Have you had any of those moments this week? that you want to shout out or share? Uh, yeah, so the first one that comes to mind is that on Thursday, for some reason, I thought it was Friday all day. I don't know, I was just so confused. I had a meeting with my uh, thesis advisor and I was supposed to go at two, but I don't know. I had this um, a block meeting earlier that turned into this breakout meeting, random meeting at 1.30. I wasn't expecting, so I was a little late and I hadn't eaten yet. So I was like, man, like, I am just so hungry, but it's Friday and Bits is going to close at three, so I really have to rush over there. And I finished a little bit before three and like went directly over to bits it was like 257 and I went up to this woman and asked her if I could still order because in my mind I was like oh my gosh it's closing in three minutes like <laughs> is this okay to order and she's like yeah go right ahead and I walk over and I'm like oh my gosh it is not Friday they close at five I'm like asking this, lady <laughs> this question why wouldn't I be able to order and I just felt really really stupid <laughs> Yeah. My gosh. The dining facility hour changes with COVID have messed with me too this summer. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. COVID hours. Duncan closing has me very, very hurt. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I'm at home, so I don't have that type of problems. I still don't, I barely know what day it is. I usually like, I, my dad's work schedule is what kind of keeps me on track. Like when I know when he goes into work. Anyway, so I will close us off now. So to stay up to date on new episodes and a look behind the scenes, follow us at BBNC pod on all social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and even Pinterest. It's also a great place to contact us. Let us know what you think and give us topics you want us to discuss. Finally, share our podcast with anyone you think might be interested. Thank you so much for listening. You are all shining stars. And thank you again to Brittany. Go follow BLAC on Instagram. Their handle will be in our little episode description. Thank you, Brittany. Thank you. Thank you for having me.